United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. I am Dean Linky, and a, another big show, an important show, as we kick it off with Leslie Gallimore as part of our countdown to convention because the commissioner of the Girls Academy League will be presenting again at this year's convention, but she also was picked to make a statement on the recent developments in the NWSL where we all know we've got to make sure that these women's voices are heard and we'll give Leslie Gallimore the floor and then she'll also talk about what she's doing at the convention really important in multiple ways Leslie Gallimore kicks off the show then on Friday night I'll have the UNC men's soccer team against Wake Forest on ACC Network Extra Grant Porter won a national championship as a player in 2001 under Elmar Bolovich 10 years later he won another one as an assistant coach to Carlos Samuano in 2011 so they're celebrating the 20th anniversary of that first title the 10th anniversary of that second title And they take on Wake Forest tomorrow night. Bobby Muse, it'll be UNC versus Wake Forest. Grant Porter, the longtime assistant coach for the Tar Heels, is on the show. Then Kate Ward, who chairs the United Soccer Coaches Disabilities Allies Group and is a longtime member of the U.S. Deaf National Team, coached by Amy Griffin and Joy Fawcett, will kick off a four-part series as we make October Disabilities Awareness Month on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. She has lined up guests all month long, and it's only fitting that she kicks it off. A great leader, a great person, a wonderful human being. Kate Ward is on the show, and fitting all of those categories, Alice Ann Wilbur just got win number 600 at William Smith College. That's right, win number 600. Alice Ann Wilbur will wrap up the show, and it all starts after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to learn more. Team Snap is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Time now for the Countdown to Convention, a weekly interview on the United Soccer Coaches podcast that features the United Soccer Coaches Convention, which will take place January 19th through 23rd in Kansas City. Every week during this time, our host, Dean Linky, will take a deep dive with someone or a group of people that will be featured at this year's convention. Remember to register early for the convention by going to unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. Now, here's Dean with this week's Countdown to Convention. 
kicking off this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast with former president of the association and the current commissioner of the Girls Academy League, our good friend Leslie Gallimore, the longtime coach at Washington, now enjoying her work as commissioner of the Girls Academy League. And it is the countdown to convention that we're kicking off with because once again, Leslie Gallimore will be featured at the convention in Kansas City. With that, Leslie Gallimore, welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Thanks, Dean. Pleasure to be here. Always good to speak with you. Well, delighted to have you. And before we get into the countdown to convention part of our conversation, obviously with all of the news in the NWSL, the association really felt like you would be a great spokesperson to comment on what is happening as we make sure that all of these women's voices are heard. Leslie, I'll give you the floor to share some of your thoughts. Well, obviously, I personally stand by the players and inspired and admire the bravery of everyone that's that's finding their voice. And, you know, whether something's happened to them recently, five years ago, 10 years ago, or 20 years ago, this is sadly, from my perspective, and someone that's been in the women's game for a long time, this is not new, is the biggest thing. And the fact that it's really come to light and, and been in the NWSL in particular this year, just kind of over and over again on a weekly basis, something shocking seems to have come come about. I think it's it's come to a head at a time where just we all have to say no more and and listen to players and listen to people who feel as though they aren't playing in a protected environment. And I, th- I think from my standpoint, that's the most important thing in my role now as commissioner of, of the Girls Academy is for our players to understand that we must provide a safe place for them to play, an environment where they understand what behaviors are appropriate and what behaviors are not acceptable because that's what's happened. Girls and women have been subjected to different types of abuses for years and they've become accustomed to it and it's been normalized. And finally, it's crossed over this line where it's just, it's always been unacceptable, but now I think players are realizing like this, this isn't right. And, and so we have to teach players at a very young age what it is that, that they are not to tolerate in their environments and, and to give them a safe place to speak up and to report where they need to. And again, I think, sadly, I feel as though this may only be the tip of the iceberg exposing something bigger and, and, and what lies beneath the surface a little bit. And in a positive way, women are finding their voices. People are finding their voices to speak out on it and finding support. It doesn't make it any easier or less traumatic, but I'm hopeful that it starts to address things at the root of of what's become sort of seemingly as systemic abuses across youth sports and across sports in general. And it's time to address it in a big way, not in a small one. And like you said, it's time to give the players a voice the entire time, right? All the time. So they never have to feel silent, correct? Yeah, correct. And I, and I think it's, it extends beyond players, you know, as well. I think there are a lot of um, environments where uh, coaches sometimes feel that, that they're put in a, a position where they're left unprotected and, and have been subjected to different types of abuses where they, they felt that they can't speak out for fear of losing a job or so, you know, there, there's all kinds of dynamics going on there and it, it extends beyond soccer and these recent developments and these stories coming to light again, I wish they were new. I just think to, to maybe find a silver lining is that it's become, it, it's gotten to a point where people cannot look away. You can't, you just cannot. So I'm hopeful that uh, this is a catalyst for something, something positive. My last question on this topic before we push to the countdown to convention and learn 
what you're doing there is one of the things you said in your answers, it's bigger than NWSL. Like this could be happening in college where you were for 20 plus years or in youth soccer. We have to be aware everywhere, correct? Correct. And I, and I, I said it in my statement from, from the Girls Academy. And that was, you know, my, my own personal state, statement across the league was humans are imperfect by nature and imperfection and we all look back on our coaching careers and we all look back at what we are subjected to as players at one point in time and think oh you know was that did that cross a line to abuse and um, and I think that's the thing where we have to educate and we have to hold people accountable is that not everything crosses over to being uh, abusive but there are certainly instances where it does and um, you can forgive you know you can forgive imperfection but not when it crosses the line to abuse. And we have to um, educate as to what that looks like. You can be demanding as a coach without being demeaning. You can, there are boundaries that, that have to be drawn on what coach-player relations are. And there has to be uh, a protection mechanism for people to be able to report and feel as though they don't have to suffer in silence in an area where they're supposed to be having fun and enjoying themselves or being professional players and being paid without feeling as though there's something, some other kind of power play at stake. And if they don't, you know, uh, abide by that, they'll lose their livelihood, et cetera. So yeah, there's a lot to it. And it, it just, you know, we're all sitting around right now after last week, just looking at, you know, kind of what's next. It may have to get worse before it gets better, but you can't look away now. And I think that's the main thing is that it has to be addressed. The leadership at United Soccer Coaches knew you would be the perfect spokesperson for this topic. So thanks for addressing it as part of this week's Countdown to Convention. Leslie Gallimore, moving to the Countdown to Convention. You will be presenting again. Can you tell us all about uh, what you have in store for Kansas City? Yeah, I miss coaching. So I'm going to hop back on the field. Um, me and my new knee. <laughs> um, I don't know if I'll be demo ready yet. But actually, I'm going to be joined by one of our uh, standout coaches in the Girls Academy, Courtney Drummond from City SC in Carlsbad, California. Courtney is going to, we're going to collaborate on a session, and I'm going to take it from sort of the uh, the methodology and coaching education perspective. She will run the session while I kind of narrate and or point out her methods for teaching. So, you know, how she checks for understanding, why she's doing the session, the way she's doing it, and just kind of address from beginning to end things from a, a, you know, coaches can pull from their own toolkit as to how to be most effective in teaching players the game. And I think Courtney will provide a great example for that, and hopefully I can keep up with her. What do you want to be the biggest takeaways for the people that attend your session, Leslie? I think teaching, you know, how, how a coach teaches the game to players. So whatever the topic, uh, whatever part of the field they're working in, whatever the moment of the game, whatever the focus of the objective for the session is, is how is that coach as an individual, how are they effective in the way that they teach players? And I think Courtney's going to provide a great example of different ways to basically get your point across and make sure that players are learning and thinking and that by the end of the session, your objectives are met and there's improvement. Just in case somebody is living under a cave right now, can you express everything that the convention has meant to you over the years? Sleepless nights, <laughs> more elbow rubbing at one point in time for six years on the board than I care to remember. 
a lot of handshaking with the All-America Banquet, uh, but in general, from the beginning till now, it's uh, it's been not only a place of networking and camaraderie and COVID and the pandemic and only being able to be online last year, and I thought the association of the board did a tremendous job of pivoting, but, you know, just to be in person and be at a place where every coach at every level is someone that you could walk up to and talk to and pick their brain and just be able to be with because they everyone has this similar love and passion for the same sport and in my career it's been one of the the highlights to have served as president and to have served on the board but more importantly just as you know as a member everything it's given me and that you know it might sound a little bit sales pitchy but it's if people in this country are coaches and they don't belong to the association they're missing out on a growth opportunity for their career in my opinion I heard you say you miss coaching. I wasn't going to let that go, Leslie. How much do you miss it? And uh, you ever contemplate getting back into coaching or is the commissioner role at the Girls Academy all encompassing? I'm sure it is. I, I enjoy my role and I enjoy giving my two cents to the coaches in our league when I see their teams play or <laughs> I, I see them managing a game or whatnot. But, um, you know, coaching education with U.S. soccer currently and the commissioner role are suiting me just fine. And um, I'm really, really enjoying them. And I've been one to, in my life, to never say never. You know, if if something came along that was difficult to pass up on or I have plenty of friends in the in the youth game that coach that wouldn't mind letting me jump on the field for a session every now and again to to get my fix. But uh, of course, I miss it. You know, I always miss being with players. I always miss being on the field and I'm enjoying watching college soccer and and, you know, following all my buddies and colleagues and rooting for them. But uh, yeah, of course, I miss it. You can't you can't coach and play for over 40 years and not. You know, there's there's certain things I don't miss, but uh, being on the field with players, I will always miss. You know, it's interesting when I think of um, powerful women with the association and big smiling faces. I think of you and Becky Burley and seeing what Becky's done. What about that possibility, Leslie? That'd be pretty cool. That would fit you perfectly. Well, that you're not the first one to ask me that because clearly, you know, the, the other topic we started with is a little bit heavy, but it's not like there haven't been some job turnover there. So, you know, I, I think it's something that I, I thought about right when I left the college game and it's not something that I wouldn't, wouldn't entertain if the right opportunity and the timing you know, personally was was right. I, I think professional soccer in this country and abroad is on the women's side is here to stay and it's continuing to grow. I'm confident in my ability to coach at that level, certainly, but it would it would have to, the timing and the opportunity would have to strike me the right way. And I do feel, and, and you know, for the Girls Academy, this is a, a role I took on to have a positive impact. And you know, I did my last role for 26 years and 36 overall, if you count my <laughs> the rest of my time in college coaching. So I'm not kind of like the one and done type person. I want to I want to make sure that my impact is cemented and that I leave a legacy with this league that I think is doing tremendous things. These players are doing tremendous things. The coaches, coaching directors for these clubs are doing amazing things in the girls Academy. And um, I, I just, you know, I, I feel as though my impact uh, I need to, I need to cement it. Let's put it that way. Isn't it cool though? The impact Becky's made, they're doing pretty well and she oh, seems to awesome. enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I had no doubt when she walked in there that the, who she is and how she's rolled um, for all those years at Florida and as a person um, that she would have a positive impact in that environment. It's not, it's not surprising to me at all. And they're, they're lucky to have her. And I know, you know, it's going to be interesting to see again, you know, kind of what after this season ends, what, what happens next year in the league, but um, there's all kinds of opportunity out there for, for people like Becky and um, 
and uh, it's it's just it's great to see. I'm excited for countdown to convention with Leslie Gallimore, the commissioner of the Girls Academy League. Let's end with that plug time. Tell us what's happening with the Girls Academy League, Leslie. Well, you know, we survived the COVID year and um, and and in a lot of ways thrived. And it was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears for a for a group of people that were passionate about saving this playing experience when the, when U.S. Soccer dropped the Development Academy. So. We got through that, and now it's just a matter of continuing to build in quality, not necessarily quantity, and and put our stake in the in the youth market in a girls-only platform where we really do honestly listen to the voice of our players. Our advisory panel is a huge piece of what we do, and and so for me, working with the players one-on-one and it, you know up close and personal, over ten thousand girls is awesome like i mean it's just really great to be able to have their their input and be connected to them sounds like your dog loves the girls academy league as well the dog was trying to help uh bark out the website so but i didn't quite make it out so can you give the website so people can learn more about the girls academy league yeah it's girlsacademyleague.com it's on we're on facebook we're on instagram we're on twitter and yeah my dog's been very patient from 7 a.m zooms to now 1 1 p.m seattle pacific standard time so uh that's the best i can ask out of her that to give me that number of hours being quiet so she knew it was you dean um but yeah we're yeah. uh we're, we have our first you know u13 14 event coming up in october and our champions league combined with our first winter showcase in december both are in california and just getting our events off the ground and and helping players get connected to the college game and and also doing a lot of things away from the field uh, again with our advisory panel that are helping them grow as people and helping them understand how important this game can be for your entire life if you invest in all parts of it. So, you know, this last week has been really tough to swallow and being able to explain that to young girls is no easy task. But again, I think education and accountability from the bottom up is what has to happen in this country. What a great way to kick off our show. You stepped up uh, in a big way, Leslie Gallimore, uh, talking about that all-important issue and then also the countdown that you mentioned and also pleased to know that everything's going great with the Girls Academy League. So pleased that you'll be presenting again at the convention in Kansas City. It's the countdown to convention. We'll see you in Kansas City, Leslie Gallimore. Thanks so much for kicking off this week's show. Appreciate it, Dean. Get ready for that barbecue. Kansas City Barbecue, you can't beat it. Great to kick off the countdown to convention with Leslie Gallimore. Coming up next, Grant Porter, who won a national championship as a player for the North Carolina Tar Heel men's soccer team, their first ever in 2001. Ten years later, he won one as a coach in Carlos Samuano's first year leading the Tar Heels. They celebrate their 20th anniversary of that first title, their 10th anniversary of that second title, and I'll have the call for UNC versus Wake Forest tomorrow night on ACC Network Extra with Kate Morris, the former UNC women's soccer player. That will be great. Grant Porter, the assistant coach for the Tar Heels, when we return. That's this week's Countdown to Convention for the 2022 United Soccer Coaches Convention, January 19th through 23rd in Kansas City. Register today at unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. Hello, college coaches. This is Dean Linky with a special reminder. Registration is now open for the United Soccer Coaches College Services Program. Registered programs have access to a variety of benefits, including eligibility for awards and rankings, individual membership discounts, a dedicated liaison working on your behalf with organizations like the NCAA, NAIA, NJCAA, and so much more. 
United Soccer Coaches helps you develop your entire coaching game the way you help your student-athletes grow as people. For more information or to register, please visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash college. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Tomorrow night, I'll have the call from Dorrance Field as the North Carolina men's soccer team will take on Wake Forest, two of the perennial powers in the ACC, two of the perennial powers nationally. And I'm so pleased to be joined by Grant Porter, who begins his 11th season as an assistant coach for the North Carolina men's soccer program, a key figure in both national titles and school history. The 2004 UNC graduate helped lead the Tar Heels to their first national championship as a player in 2001. And again, as an assistant coach in 2011, that was Carlos Samuano's first season. There's been plenty of college cups as well. And Grant Porter joins me now on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Grant, great to have you on the program. Dean, good to hear from you. I'm trying to figure out who canceled to get me on, but I'm glad to be on. I'll take the mic. Let's do it. <laughs> Nobody canceled. We've got a big pimp the game tomorrow night, and uh, I couldn't think of a better person to do it with you. You've been always so great to me. And I actually had the call, if you remember, on the radio and actually flew with you guys in 2001 when you guys won that national championship. Let's go back to that before we focus on tomorrow night's game. But winning it as a player, you actually got credit for an assist in that win against Indiana take us back to 2001 what a great team yeah I still laugh you know you're talking about the assist I think I think I got some kind of hockey assist in that one I think I passed it to the guy who passed it to the guy and scored and they gave me credit but again I'll take it yeah it was a um, a wonderful team and kind of put UNC on the map in terms of our first national title as a program but we had a good uh, a good group a lot of great players I could run down the guys that are still playing but the bigger thing about that group is we were really just tough we, we had to come from behind a lot we stuck together we were down 2-0 to Stanford in the national semifinal with 12 minutes left. David Testo scores a, a wonder goal. And then we all of a sudden we have belief and, and we come back and beat Stanford in overtime. And it felt like we could take on anybody on, on that Sunday. It didn't matter who was on the, the jersey. And we were able to punch through and get our first title as a program. Yeah, that was incredible. It was great to be on the call with Dan Satter, who's now a big time athletic director or a conference guy or whatever he he did great things and dan and i still keep in touch but yeah i actually want you to mention some of those players on that 2001 national championship team with you know the fear that you might miss somebody grant but uh, go ahead and remind us some of those key names well we got to shut out in the final so you have to kind of start in the back you got danny jackson who was the leader of our program he was a captain for three years an all-american and he went on to play in the pros and uh, mls with colorado rapids and uh, has been on the call for seattle as a play-by-play -play at times and so still involved in the game and still involved in our program as a, a valued alum and then you know, Chris Leach had a long tenure in the MLS. He was out back there as well as David Stokes. So Chris Leach still involved with San Jose. Stokes was a Project 40 pick who left school early. You had Logan Pauls in the midfield who had a 12-year career with the MLS. Matt Crawford was in that midfield. And then even a guy like Naz Yamauchi who didn't go on the MLS but uh, could just get people on skates and, and drill by guys and get serves into the box to, to the big fella, Ryan Kniper. Uh, who actually scored with his head in, in the final against Indiana, who scored a ton of goals that year. And underneath him, you had, you know, you had David Testo, who was, was scoring goals for fun at times. And um, so we really just had a really good group. And, and ironically, this is the 10 and 20 year anniversary of that, the, the 2001 and 2011 team. So we'll have some guys back in town. But, you know, we, we, we did have some, some good players, but we were really a, a great group. And, and even as we get back together now, we spend more time laughing than, than talking. And we just all really got along. Wait, so you're telling me that this weekend is actually the celebration uh, or is it coming down the road? Coming down the road. We pushed it back just to kind of, you know, they've been going on COVID. We're trying to just keep pushing things back in terms of the dates to try to get as many guys as we can back. So I think against Notre Dame in the last 
regular season home game. We're trying to get those two teams together as much as we can to reunite for 10 and 20. All right. And then remind me, Almar Bolovich was the head coach. Who was on his staff? 2001, we had Oliver Weiss and then Scott Calabrese, who's now um, the head man at UCF. So Oliver and Elmar are reunited at George Mason and Scott's doing a great job down at, at Central Florida. Incredible. All right. So now after you're done playing, your path was intriguing. I know you went to Charlotte. You went out with Tim Bob Steeg, which there's probably some stories in there as well. Just talk about uh, your route uh, before returning to, to North Carolina. Don't miss anything, Grant. As a player at UNC, there was, um, at the time, Krim Desir was at Georgia State, who knew Elmar. So I was able to get, get on board as a graduate assistant. Georgia State at the time was not very, fun, very well funded, so I was a graduate assistant and kind of a the only assistant on staff. So I was working towards a graduate degree and and getting thrown into the fire. And so that was great. And then I had an opportunity to go out west to work with Tim Bomstein, which which was great. I had a year out there in a connection with Leo Chapel. So I went out there. I had not finished my graduate degree, so I felt like it was important to, to finish my uh, master's in sport administration. So I came back to the Atlanta area, wound up in kind of a comfortable area in terms of Charlotte to get back into the coaching world, helping with a youth soccer club there. Yeah, when Elmar decided to to take the job at Creighton and Carlos was promoted, I reached out and said, let me know. I'd be honored to try to join your staff if, if you want me. And, and I'm sure Carlos had some better coaching resumes that, that came across his desk in 2011, but I think he knew I'd be loyal to him in our program. And I've been trying to do that ever since. Okay, so the, you do come back and then you win the national championship. So you win it as a player and as a coach. Carlos Samuano's first year, I mean, a storybook way to to start his uh, career as a head coach, right? What do you remember about 2011? Walk us through that special year. Well, I think you have to have a little bit of history behind it because the, the three years prior to me joining the staff, they're knocking on the door. They go to three college cups. And so 2011 represented the the fourth college cup. So I, I came in and I was not trying to do anything to change things up. I was just trying to supplement and help Carlos and, and Jeff Nagali on the bench. I Sometimes I refer to myself as a, a front row season ticket holder trying to, to keep up and help where I can. But again, another uh, incredible group. And, 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 and yeah, I can go down the roster, but this is another team that went through to win a national title. You can't just have good players. These guys were tough. I mean, we go through the NCAA tournament and we're down twice to Coastal Carolina, 1-0 and 2-1. We found a way to come back and win 3-2. We go into the, the semifinal as another example against UCLA. We go down 1-0 and then we go down 2-1, score with five minutes left and eventually win in penalties. And then I had another tough game with, with Charlotte, obviously, in the final. We get the goal that we, we felt like we needed and they're throwing the full court press on us. I felt like they had 15 guys on the field and I'm, I'm kind of on the bench going, I don't know, I don't know, this is not good. And, and and Jeff and Carlos were so calm and they believed in our guys. And I think our guys had, they, you know, they've been in three college cup and I think they were just saying, this is not going to happen. And, and and we, we held on, we didn't concede and, and we were national champions. Yeah. Name those players too, the key players on that team, man, this is fun. Yeah. Well, I'll start with a, a heavy heart. Kirk Urso was, was the leader of our, our, our team and, and, and an exemplary student athlete before a sudden passing in 2012. And uh, everything was about him and, and he was so determined to lead our group. Uh, was a great player, went undrafted, went to Columbus Crew, and it just sums him up that he went undrafted and, and found himself as a starter on week one in the MLS season. And so and it's hard not to tear up to, to, to think about him and what he did for our program, was a great player, great student, great friend, and all everything. So it all started with him. But, you know, we have a, a goalkeeper in Scott Goodwin who was exceptional, exceptional in the shootout against UCLA. He's a guy that went to play on professionally, but, you know, not only was he exceptional, but he was a really smart goalkeeper. He went on to play pro for a little bit, but then he went to uh, med school at Harvard. So sums up kind of where he was. We had Matt Hedges in the back. Uh, still have a, he's an MLS Defender of the Year, playing next to Boyd Aquano, OC, who was a three-time All-American for us. You got Jordan McCray on the left back, who's still playing pro. Jordan Gaffer at the right back. You got a midfield line that includes Enzo Martinez, who, who obviously did great things as an All-American. 
next to Kirk and Mikey Lopez, who was a, a freshman at the time that just covered so much ground and a guy who had a, a GA deal after two years. And then up front, you got Robbie Lovejoy and Ben Spees. Ben Spees went on to be national player of the year that year, winning back-to-back titles, one with Acker and then transferring over to us. And and then you got Billy Shuler up front that just found a way to, to score some big goals for us. So we we felt loaded. We had a lot of guys. But again, that, that group was tough. They had suffered. When I say suffered, they went to three college cups before that year. And, and I think they were determined that, it, that they were going to come out on top in 2011. I just lucky. Like I said, I had a front row seat and just try to do anything I could to help those guys reach that dream. One of the things I like about you is you appreciate that front row seat. And now after a couple of years, it's kind of vagabonds living out of your suitcases. They built Dorrance Field. You guys still had incredible success. And I think you made it to another college cup, even though you didn't really have a home field per se, uh, which you know says a lot about uh, how good UNC has been over the years. But man, what a setting you have now. I know you're, you're in your office right now at Dorrance Field. That place is the real deal. Hard to find a better stadium. It is the real deal. And I think uh, we owe it all to the alums on the, the men's and women's side. And, and some people forget that uh, the men's and women's lacrosse were equally as um, behind the charge to, to, to build a stadium. And Bubba Cunningham and our leadership team or administration team and the fundraising crew here to put together a venue that is um, as good as it gets. I think what's a fun stat is everybody's talking about, you know, whether it's men's and women's soccer in terms of all the college cup, but last season in the spring, men's and women's soccer and men's and women's lacrosse who all play on this field were all in their respective final four. So you're talking about some teams that are out there and they're just getting it done that, that put on a great product for our local fans and our students. Mention that word vagabond, which basically means kind of living out of your suitcase and, you know, dealing with adversity. But I mean, all your teams, I mean, you had to, I mean, you were playing games like at Elon and at Wake Med and at Duke. I mean, anywhere but UNC, yet you're still having success. Can you just talk about, I guess, the fortitude of your team? Because that couldn't be easy. It wasn't. And we're bouncing around spots. You're right. We played a game at Elon. We played Duke in Greensboro, believe it or not, one year because we couldn't find a field. So that was kind of odd. And then we played a lot of games, obviously, out out in Cary at a great venue. But it was just hard on our guys, too. And, you know, you know, selfishly, I think I, I had a, our first, my wife and I had our first son during that time. And, you know, we're getting on the bus at like 2.30 or 3 o'clock for a 7 p.m. home game, you know. And so for us to go out there and, and still get results says a lot about our guys. And that, that was not easy. But, and, and we owe a lot to those players that maybe had their junior and senior year off campus and never even got to experience our stadium. So we owe a lot to them that, that they had to go through that. And, but still, it's an honor to put on the jersey. And, and, and they knew that. And they just, they just pushed through. And, and, and as you said, I think, of the two years we were off campus, we went to, to a Final Four, and one year we were, you know, I think the five overall seed going to the NCAA tournament, and, and we didn't get quite back to the College Cup that 2018 year. But uh, the guys did incredible for, for two years off campus. It wasn't easy. It feels great to be in now and have a home field, but it, it was hard and, and taxing. Tomorrow night, Wake Forest, the Demon Deacons, whether it's at Spry or whether it's at Dorrance Field, anytime UNC and Wake get together, it's always a game with big time personality players and big time programs, right? Yeah. You know, when you call me, I just was thinking about some of the history there. And I just looked it up in the last 20 years, you know, we've been to, to eight college cups. They've been to six. We both, we won the two titles that we've been talking about. They won one in 2007. So you're talking about 14 college cups between the two programs over the last 20 years. And even, you know, talking about the three national titles and I bet both programs are thinking, man, maybe we could have knocked down the door and, and had a few more. So Anytime these teams get together, you're going to have great players, great teams, a lot of respect, a good game. So it's awesome that they're, they're going to be in town. They, ironically, we are talking about the off-campus. They haven't been to play a game in Chapel Hill since 2012 just because of how the divisions have worked out and the split. And then um, 
you know, they had a game we played in carry. So it'll be fun to, to welcome them to our new stadium. Yeah. You know, when, when they come in, I know you just touched on the facility, but when coaches come in and it could be your biggest rival, like whether it's John Kerr or even George Kiefer, who have pretty nice stadiums as well, they're blown away. Right. I mean, they are absolutely blown away and they say that out loud. Listen, we're very fortunate. I don't want to speak for them, but yeah, we, we, we have an unbelievable setting. I think when you walk on the field, um, it, it just feels like you're in a special place. So I try not to take it for granted being able to go to work every day and look out and see the field right in the heart of our campus. It's probably one of the most unique settings in, in all of college soccer. So Grant, last week I had Ann Cook on. She's been the 15-year assistant coach to Erica Dombach for the Penn State women who almost every year win the Big Ten. She was a superstar player at William & Mary. She played in the pro leagues uh, back in the WUSA days. And her phone rings all the time to become a head coach. But she's like, you know what, Dean, the grass is not always greener. I love my situation here. I absolutely love being the right-hand person to Erica Dombach, one of the legends who was on the staff for the USA women in the most recent Olympics. Olympics. You know, here you are now 11 years as an assistant at your alma mater where you won one as a player and you won one as an assistant coach. What are your future goals? Uh, you know, I know your family loves it right there in Chapel Hill. You live not too far from me in a beautiful community. I mean, I got to believe it. There's going to be a time when the phone's going to ring for you, Grant, to, to become a head coach. What are your thoughts on that? My thoughts are I just I focus on each day. My my, my thoughts are I, I focus on my interview with Dean Linky. I, I don't get too 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 far ahead of what's going on. I, I love everything about Chapel Hill. I now have two wonderful sons with my beautiful wife, and we just have a great life here. I went to school here. She went to school here. My brother uh, also played here, Carson Porter. And uh, ironically, he actually won a title as an assistant coach with Jay Vitovich at Wake Forest. So there's a little family history there. But you know, I don't think it gets much better than the University of North Carolina. I don't think it gets much better than Chapel Hill, North Carolina. So people can ask me that, and I'm not even, um, I, I don't even go there to think that somehow I would get all these jobs. I, I focus on the fact that I'm at UNC and I love it here. And I know a lot of people would want to have my job just the same way that some people might say that I would want a job somewhere else. So I try to remember that daily. And and, and again, uh, the setting here in, in terms of Chapel Hill as a whole, but also our offices and our stadium about it's about as professional as it gets. And so I, I can't ask for anything more. Just a couple more questions with Grant Porter, the assistant coach for the Tar Heels, who will take on Wake Forest on ACC Network Extra tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. I'll have the call with former UNC women's soccer player Kate Morris. Looking forward to working with Kate for the first time ever. As you think about the game against Wake Forest, what's got to go right for UNC to get a win? What are some key things that have to happen? And, And really, as you think about UNC men's soccer in general, when you guys are winning, what's happening out there? When we're successful, I, I think we really are, uh, you know, Carlos is, uh, is an incredible coach, an incredible leader in terms of details. And I think when, you know, we value every value every second, every play. And so when we when we dial in and, and, and value those things and stick to who we are, that's when we're really good. And, and we've shown that in some positive results this season. We've also had some, some negative results or setbacks. And I think that usually entailed kind of getting away from who we are and maybe letting one mistake it kind of leads to two as opposed to trying to, okay, if one mistake happens, let's bail each other out. And so we've identified that we're working on that. So I think as, as long as, look, there's no guarantees, even if we play the UNC version of what we're trying to do and impose our will on Wake Forest, we know they're a great team and they've got their own keys to, to what they're going to be trying to do. And so I just feel like, or we feel like that we just, we just got to be who we are, uh, limit our mistakes, play within ourselves, value every second, value every play. 
that it might be the difference. And if we do that, we give ourselves a chance and there's no guarantees, but uh, we give ourselves a chance. As a follow-up to my question a moment ago about uh, being an assistant coach and if a call comes to be a head coach, there are a lot more assistant coaches than there are head coaches. And as you know, United Soccer Coaches have has more than 25,000 members and obviously a greater percentage are assistant coaches than head coaches. That's just a fact, Grant. What is your message to those assistant coaches out there about, uh, you know, embracing their role and how important it is? Well, I don't want to sound like I'm the, some kind of the, the leader of the assistant coaches. I think from my perspective, I, I think our, our roles are, are critical and important and you just got to find your place within the program to, to help as much as you can and, and be loyal to, to your head coach. And so uh, there's lots of great head coaches. There's lots of great assistant coaches. Sadly, there's every time maybe a job opens up, there's lots of great candidates. And so they're kind of few and far between of, of people maybe moving from the assistant coach to head coach ranks. That's just the reality, but that doesn't mean that they're not important and vital and hopefully enjoying their experience the, the same way that I enjoy my experience and, and don't get wrapped up in some of the external factors that could get to you, you know, and, and just doing your job each day and doing the best you can to make it a good experience for your guys and as, as students and as athletes. As we wrap up our time, you know, whether you're a head coach or an assistant coach, you're always trying to grow as a coach. I feel like United Soccer Coaches does a great job extending their arms to anybody and everybody that wants to grow as a coach. Can you just share your sentiments about United Soccer Coaches and what it, that association has meant to you? Yeah, it's been huge and, and certainly informational and educational, whether, you know, and I'm, the obvious one is the the, the convention each year where they, we all get together, including yourself, and we can learn from each other, but also there's job postings. So you're talking about that stuff right now. So the association is, is huge for the advancement of everybody, but also just a, a social connection. You know, we all get caught up in the games, but I, I think we're, uh, you, you'll hear about a lot of people becoming great friends, and sometimes it can be through a connection, even if it's the convention. So um, that's just as important as the, the educational part of, and growth as a coach. Grant Porter, the assistant coach at UNC, where he won a national championship as a player, their first ever. Ten years later, he won one as an assistant coach in 2011. That means they're celebrating 20 years of that first national championship, 10 years of that second national championship. And tomorrow night on ACC Network Extra, the Tar Heels and the Demon Deacons. And Grant Porter will have a front row seat right there with Carlos Samuano and the rest of the UNC gang. Good luck tomorrow night, and thank you so much for being on this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Dean, appreciate appreciate your, your uh, love for our sport, and I know you've been doing it for a long time, so I really appreciate it. My one last plug for, for UNC men's soccer, let's all wish Greg Berhalter and the national team success tonight as we push for a uh, World Cup qualifying win. That's so well said. The former Tar Heel, Greg Burhalter, you're on point as always, Grant. Thank you so much. We'll be back with more United Soccer Coaches podcast after this. United Soccer Coaches Advanced Diplomas have long been regarded as an excellent way to expand your coaching knowledge, advance your career, and improve your player's development. Now, with our blended format that incorporates online and in-person learning, coaches with ever-demanding schedules can earn their diploma in the most time-friendly way possible. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash advanced-diplomas for more information. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. I am so pleased to tell you about an exciting four week, that's right, four week program dedicated to the United Soccer Coaches Disabilities Allies Group. Of course, the chair of the United Soccer Coaches Disability Allies Group is Kate Ward, who is 
a phenomenal superstar. She is still an assistant coach at UTEP. She's still on the U.S. Deaf National Team, where she has played since 2009, the former App State star, still getting it done. And Kate Ward, this will be the first of four episodes. I do want to tell people that October 18th was kind of dedicated as Disability Awareness Week by United Soccer Coaches. But you know what we said? Let's make October all about the Disability Allies Group, and that's what we're going to do every single week of October, somebody will be talking about disabilities and the allies group, and we're going to push this forward and we kick it off with Kate Ward. Kate, welcome to the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Thanks for having me, Dean. Yeah. First of all, it is kind of neat that the whole month, we don't need a week. We need a whole month, Kate. You've got some great guests. Let's start with that. Obviously, you're going to kick it off today, but the next three weeks, we'll also have featured guests that you help supply. Can you tell us uh, what's coming down the road? Yeah, we're really excited to have basically a month to celebrate disabilities. That's kind of a unique platform for a community like ours. So we have Stuart Sharp, and he is um, he works with U.S. Soccer as the head coach of the Paralympic team. Um, and then Ashley Hammond is the chair of the Disability Soccer Committee for U.S. Soccer, and they will be on next week. And then we have Terry St. John, who's the Butler Women's Soccer co-head coach. And she runs a really great top soccer program with her team. So we're excited about that one. And then we have Chris Capella, who has a child who plays for a top soccer team and then a child who plays for a high level club team. So a bunch of different perspectives and experiences, which I think will be really good for our soccer community. And let me just tell you that uh, as the host of United Soccer Coaches podcast and knowing you, Kate, and getting to know you both at the digital convention and by having you on, I'm honored that we can provide this platform all month long on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. So thanks for making it happen. Yeah, we're super excited. You know, again, super appreciative of the platform. All right, well, let's get right into it. And I've got some questions ready for you. Now, let's start with this. Do you feel like your soccer IQ experience and expertise is discounted from people who haven't seen you coach because some of it was built in a disability realm? I would say there's an insecurity with having a disability and thinking that people think that. Um, I feel like often throughout life, like I've had to work twice as hard to prove myself to others and whether that's a self-perception thing or it's a true thought. Um, I do think there's a bit of vulnerability in, in thinking that, but I can honestly say I don't think I've ever felt that on the soccer field or in the soccer community, which has been really cool. I've been very lucky to be surrounded by people who see it as a positive versus a negative. And I think if I've ever been around people who, who see it as a negative, they're not necessarily people I want to work with or, or be around. So I've been very lucky in the sense that soccer has provided a safe place for me to feel like I am everything that I want to be as a coach, as a player. And I would say Overall, the general answer to that is no, but there is a little bit of an insecurity if that answers the question. Yeah, no, very good. Now, what about playing for the U.S. Deaf National Team has made you a better coach at UTEP? Well, I think that communication is such a big thing with the deaf team. We play without hearing devices when we're on the field. So that obviously is a disadvantage in some ways because you have to learn how to communicate. And the other thing is that we have people with so many different backgrounds on the team you know, some people have hearing devices, some people don't, some people sign, some people use their voice, some people lip read. So learning how to communicate with each of them has given me a better understanding of why communication is such a big thing and why it's important to look at body language. And the other thing is that 
I think that building relationships and, and learning stories has helped me as a coach to understand that that's something that's important, right? And that's a huge part of communication. And obviously being able to be around my coaches, Amy Griffin and Joy Fawcett with the deaf team, you're going to learn something from them no matter what on or off the field. So that's really special. And I feel like in a lot of ways, being on the deaf team has changed my perspective and a lot of different areas of my life. Those are two legends. You just mentioned Amy Griffin and Joy, part of that 91 world championship team and Joy, part of that 99 team that really so many people believed in women's soccer because of that 99 team. Kate, you're probably one of those as well as we're here with Kate Ward, the chair of the United Soccer Coaches Disabilities Allies Group. And it's the first of four every single week of October will be creating awareness for disability allies group for United soccer coaches. What is the best piece of coaching advice you've gotten so far, Kate? Something that someone said to me very early on was say yes to everything when, you know, you start your career, but at some point you also have to learn how to say no when you can't do things. So I think that's been um, a huge kind of motto that I've lived by. And I think I've gotten to the point in my career where I've started to have to be like, okay, you know, I don't want to stretch myself too thin um, because I do think that I've been able, I've been lucky to be able to take on a lot of different roles. And so making sure that I'm able to give 100% of myself to those roles, but also being aware, you know, you got to work hard every avenue of your career. So that's one piece of advice that I think I've gotten that's been awesome. And then the other one is kind of finding your coaching style and what works for you and constantly adjusting that and, and learning from that, because for me, I am deaf and I do have to do things a little bit differently from other coaches. And I've had to come up with different solutions for what works for me on the field communication wise with my players and with the other staff members that I work with. And so someone telling me like, Hey, it's okay to have your own coaching style has been very beneficial to my development as a coach. So those are the two things that I think stick out the most. Outstanding. Always learn something when we spend time with you, Kate. Who has impacted your coaching journey the most and why? Well, I think Amy has obviously been fantastic as a mentor. You can't spend time around Amy and not take something away from her. I have learned a lot about kind of just diving into everything that you can and doing your very best with it to positively impact those around you. And I think she's a very strong female role model. Um, and I think she'll stand up for what she believes in at every avenue. So she's been a huge mentor to me, um, both on the field and off the field. And then I also have been really lucky with my UTEP staff with Catherine Balligan and Stu Gibbons. Um, again, I think that they've done a great job of, you know, teaching me that it's okay to kind of adjust things and figure out what works best. Like, for example, um, when I'm on the field coaching and you know, I need to set something up. Do I let the players stay close by so that if they have questions for me, they're not yelling across the field. If I don't hear something, being able to ask one of them um, or ask one of my players, I think they've taught me that it's okay to, to ask for these things. And that's been really special for me. And then I think they've also taught me a lot about finding a balance in culture, you know, winning and building leaders. So I've been very lucky with the role models that I've had in the start of my coaching career. You're hearing the wisdom, kindness, and the courage of Kate Ward, the chair of the United Soccer Coaches Disabilities Allies Group, the first of a four-part series. Kate, do you think that being on our national team has helped you understand building team culture from a multitude of backgrounds? And kind of a two-part question, if that's okay, how do you use that in your coaching career? 
Yeah, for sure. Um, I think in recent years, I've stepped into the captaincy role with the deaf team. And so it taught me a lot about leadership. And we talked a little bit earlier about the variety of backgrounds on the deaf team and why communication is so important. For me, that's given me a real perspective on, on why it's so important to learn everybody's backgrounds and, and find a middle ground. And I think sometimes it's really easy for us to gravitate towards people that we're comfortable with. And for me, with the deaf team, for example, that's people who who use hearing devices and use their voice because I didn't grow up signing. It's been really important that I not only set an example of communicating with everybody on that team, but also um, making sure that those around me do the same thing. So something that we've done on the deaf team that I've really enjoyed is when we're off the field, people wear their hearing devices and things like that. They kind of go back to their own mode of communication. So uh, at meal times, everybody will take off their hearing devices and you go sit with somebody who signs like someone who's not like you right and so that's been really cool to kind of see the team build off of that and as far as how that affects my coaching career I think there's a lot of conversations around social inequities and, and minorities right now and I feel like that's made me more comfortable having serious conversations with my players whether it's about Black Lives Matter movement or any of the other minorities and and what's important to them and, and why it's important to them. And understanding that there is a certain level of exhaustion in sharing those stories. Being able to experience the deaf team and all the different varieties and backgrounds has given me more confidence in having those conversations, I guess. What do you think we could do better with our youth players experiencing disabilities at a local, regional, and national level? Well, I think one of the most important things is educating yourself as a coach and also, you know, talking to the player who has a disability and at the youth level, talking to the parents as well, finding ways to make your practices, your events, your meetings inclusive and doing that in a way that you're not calling out the person with a disability. So you're not putting them at the center of the attention, like I'm doing things differently for you. I think it, in my experience, it's been better to be a little bit more nonchalant about it. Like this is why we're going to do it the way we are, but also being able to have those tough conversations about inclusivity and fostering it at uh, a micro level um, as far as your teams, your clubs regionally. Um, and I think as we begin to do that, we'll be able to make more of an impact nationally, but those conversations need to be more common and you also need to find a solution with someone who has a disability, right? Like I think too often those conversations take place without having the people ex who experience those things. Uh, so that would be my thought process about how we could be better overall and just get involved. I think it's not always about having one player with a disability and everybody else on your team normal per se in quotations. There's also top soccer and AYSO VIP. So getting involved in those things as well is really important educating yourself. Kate, you know me well, so you know I love asking this question, and I think I've asked it to you before, but uh, I never get tired of it. Best moment as a player and best moment as a coach in uh, your young career? Ooh, um, I would say the best moment for me as a player or the most gratifying for me is with the deaf team. Um, when we meet players who, young children, I guess you could say, who are deaf or who are hard of hearing, and being able to connect with them. And 
I guess, be a role model for them in the same way that I didn't have a role model who looked like me growing up. So part of the reason that I find this deaf team so special is that we have the ability to make an impact on and off the field. So that's been very gratifying to build relationships with some of these younger players in the next generation, I guess. And then the best moment for me as a coach, I would say going back to our discussions around the social inequities and things like that would be watching my team at UTEP and their leadership in those conversations and their ability to have those conversations and being comfortable with being uncomfortable. And so watching that happen over the past year has been, again, very gratifying for me as a coach and to understand that in some way, shape or form, I'm able to be around that and take part of that. I know that both of those things are off the field, but I kind of look at that as what, what am I grateful for in, in my role? So those are the two things I would think of. Kate, I think I speak for the association when I tell you from my heart that when people think of Kate Ward, they don't think of you as deaf. They don't think of you as somebody with a disability. They think of you as someone who's a leader and somebody with a voice. Yes, you're the chair of the United Soccer Coaches Disability Allies Group. Yes, you're the first of a, a four-part series, but you're also a leader and you talk about some injustices and communication and tough conversations. I've got to ask you about the tough conversations that are going on right now in the NWSL as a female coach and a former female player, and not even a former, you're still on U.S. Deaf International team. And obviously the story that Meg Linehan and the Athletic broke uh, with some help uh, has really made us all kind of sit back and say, oh my goodness, uh, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that as we push forward to make sure that uh, these, young, these young women are heard and, and never, ever taken advantage of? I think it's really disappointing um, to hear the failure at an administrative level, at a, at a coaching level. I don't know if I have a better word than disappointing. Um, I do commend the bravery of the people involved in these conversations because that's, that's extremely tough. Um, my hope is that them bringing their stories to light in the same way that the the gymnasts involved in the Nassar case, um, that the conversation begins to be had and solutions begin to form because this has been going on for too long. And my hope, and I'm sure their hope, is that we can find a positive going forward. But overall, very disappointing. And I hope that, especially in the, the women's soccer world, that we begin to find the right coaches who are, I mean, it doesn't just have to be female coaches. Um, we need to find the right coaches for these teams and for these players who prioritize safety and the development of them in every aspect, mentally, physically, all of that. It goes from the top to the bottom, right? So disappointing would be my word overall for this situation. That's very fair, but I want to end it on a positive note because I don't think there's anybody more positive out there than you, Kate, and I mean that sincerely in a non-sycophantic way. I just do. I, I love spending time with you. So just to kind of turn it back to the initial question, this is the first of four. What can we expect uh, coming forward with those other guests that you mentioned as we continue to create awareness for the Disabilities Allies Group for United Soccer Coaches? Well, I think you have some really great leaders in our soccer community who will be on. And I think what I'm most excited about is that there's different perspectives of, you know, the different roles they play. I think with disabilities, sometimes people shy away from it because A, they're uncomfortable about it, or B, you know, maybe we've been selling the same story for a long time and it's time to have different perspectives. 
So um, I'm hoping that with these next few guests that you can find something that's applicable for, you know, wherever you are in your life, your coaching career, and they're great people. So I'm really excited for them to be on. I can't wait. This is the first of a four-part series as we take over October for disability awareness, and we kick it off the best way possible with Kate Ward, the chair of the United Soccer Coaches Disabilities Allies Group, and still a outstanding member of the U.S. Deaf National Team, coached by Andy Griffin and Joy Fawcett. Kate Ward, thanks for being on this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast. Thanks, Dean. I appreciate it. Coming up next, another legend of the game, 600 wins and counting for Alice Ann Wilbur at William Smith College. What a story. She even got the Gatorade shower, and she'll tell us about it. Alice Ann Wilbur wraps up the show after this message. Looking for ways to improve your training session? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for more than 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential to every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to elevate your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. We're bringing back an old friend, Alice Ann Wilbur, who just got win number 642 years. She's been at William Smith College. We'll explain that connection to Hobart in a minute, but 600 wins, 42 years. Alice Ann, I know this is going to sound like the most overused joke, but seeing you in your office, I'm convinced that you did start when you were five, which I don't know how you did it, but congratulations on win number 600. That's amazing. Well, thank you, Dean. I probably remember more the losses than the wins, to be honest. Like, isn't that uh, just about every coach's story? You know, we tend to think about things that didn't go so well and maybe get on to the next thing that did go well. But there's just been so many great ups and some significant downs as well, like with every other coach. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you said that because uh, it's an often used phrase that, you know, players win games, coaches lose them. You know, they often say that, right? But no one's going to take away those 600 wins. You're you're only going to add to them for sure. What do you remember about the celebration? Did you get a Gatorade shower, Alisanne? Did they do anything crazy for you? Oh, I dropped my guard. I am losing it. I guess I thought that you would get some kind of grace extended to senior citizen status. And <laughs> I just wasn't anticipating it would be a whole cooler of uh, ice water. And it w- there was a lot of ice in it. So it was, <laughs> I was just very unsuspecting and thus very frustrated that I didn't see that coming. That is awesome. We're here with Alisanne Wilbur, 600 wins and county now at William. Smith College. Remind everybody it's a quaint university and then remind us the tie-in, the division, the conference. You know, paint the picture for William Smith because clearly you love it there. I do love it. I, it's been uh, a place that has really uh, supported my career all this time. It's It's been a place that has shown great historical growth for the support given to women in sports and and women in general, that's how William Smith was founded by William Smith as, as an institution that would really support the education and the futures of women in 1908. So we are located with Hobart College, which was founded about 100 years before that, right on Seneca Lake. 
And so over time, the two schools existed together separately, but we've grown together. So we're, we're a coordinate school now, more known as Hobart and William Smith Colleges. We have co-ed classes in every aspect. I think much of it looks like a normal co-ed school, but we retain some real separate pieces, I think, uh, that really support and promote, promote growth for our female students, growth and substance depth confidence, leadership abilities. So it's been a great place to work all this time. Yeah, and I may have missed it, but remind me what division and what conference you're in as well. We're in the Liberty League Conference for the last, I don't know how many years, but that's been the latest conference that uh, we've been affiliated with. There were two or three others prior to that, but it's it's a good, strong conference with similar uh, academically-minded schools. And yeah, we're division three. Okay, obviously, as uh, we've talked about before, United Soccer Coaches has always been near and dear to you. You've received some great awards from them over the years, and I suspect more are coming. What is it about United Soccer Coaches that uh, makes you so connected to that association? One, it's uh, it's comprised of just wonderful people who are all in, in, engaged, I think, in promoting opportunities for their student athletes within a sport that we all love, promoting educational opportunities and just support for our coaches. And the, I think the span and the scope of soccer that United Soccer Coaches addresses from youth soccer to high school to uh, collegiate to professional is, is truly unique and phenomenal. So the mission is a is a tremendous one, and I, I I firmly believe we we need to give back and support an organization that gives so much. Well, it was interesting to me because my next question is: Was your phone blowing up? And you know, I'm assuming you're super tech savvy and uh, have the fanciest phone out there for sure, Alisan. But obviously, Steve Beal sent an email right away after the game. You know, and once you you know finally warmed up from that Gatorade shower, uh, was your phone blowing up? Did you hear from alumni? Hear from members from United Soccer Coaches? Oh yes. On my little I-6, my little ancient I-6, I am not by any stretch a, a tech-savvy person. I, I, I could care probably very little about all of that. Got enough to focus on. But yeah, I've heard from oh, so many alums, so many colleagues that are all over the place. So it's been a, a busy few days of me responding to everybody's uh, reach out, which I intend to answer everyone. That's awesome. You know, I have to admit, I call a ton of games and I do the game and then I move on to the next one. And sometimes I can't always recall everything. And sometimes I can't remember what I had for lunch yesterday. But when you think about those 600 wins, are there one or two wins that just do rise to the top of the mountain as ones that you'll never forget? When a program is in transition and finding out who they are, or what their capacity is, that kind of evolutionary growth and the momentum you get when you're finding yourselves. And uh, so probably back to 1987, when maybe the first time we ever beat Cortland, uh, which was an incredible rivalry for me for, you know, probably seven, eight years since I started coaching at, at William Smith, we just, you know, they were the beast. And so that first win, it was, in, you know, just massively exciting for all of us. Like, you know, my assistant coach and 
all the players involved because there's just a high when when you're finding when you're finding out who you are as a program and so i think that one will always stand out certainly uh, the national championships the you know 88 and 2013 were just to see everybody so happy at the same time it, you know that's what i remember and um just a lot of joy by those who played, those who uh, were part of the program at the time, those who watched and were spectators, pretty significant, yeah. It's really important these days uh, as we talk about work and life balance, 42 years, you mentioned the national championships, the big wins, uh, away from the soccer field. Let's get to know you a little bit better, Alice, and uh, talk about you know maybe your family and some of the things that uh, you like to do away from the soccer pitch. Well, my husband and I have uh, two children that we're really proud of. My son, Evan, is a sound engineer in Nashville. And my daughter, Hannah, lives in Santa Fe. And she's a, a product manager. I'm not sure I'm going to have this part right, but uh, she works for a big GPS. See, I don't even know that. GPS, probably mapping company, Esri. So um, she's has a great job and they value her so and we couldn't be more proud of of both of them and I have a lot of interests uh I love music so I dabble with a few instruments I don't have time to do anymore um much but music art I have a pretty extensive gardening background yeah I love I love all those things actually um in fact I, I started gardening as a kid with my dad and still love it and I, I still play the accordion believe it or not and was a pretty good accordion player what are your instruments that you play Alice Ann well the the one I played most of late is the I have a troubadour harp so more like a Celtic harp mm. a lot of background in um, strings so viola piano growing up and into college and then I got my first teaching job and had a second floor apartment so I couldn't get a piano up there and that's when I took on the heart. I love so, it. I love it. Yeah. All right. And then with your husband, how, how long have you guys been married? How many years? It's about the same amount. I think he, he, uh, <laughs> he got me as a wife when he got soccer. I think we, we actually met playing soccer. So, uh, okay. So 40 plus years uh, yep. married as well. What is mm -hmm. just having fun with you? What is your go-to getaway place? There must be one, one place where it's like, all right, we got time off. This is where we're headed. Hopefully our kids can meet us. Even if they can't, we're still going to go there. Is there a go-to getaway place for you? Well, we had been before COVID, we'd been kind of meeting. And that was before Hannah moved to Santa Fe, I think on, on the Eastern shore. So near St. Michael's, um, we had, great friends that had a place we would rent there for family vacation. The last couple of years we've done staycation and at, at our home and the kids love coming home. They don't get there very often. So it's kind of home has been our, our go-to place. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yep. Nothing, nothing wrong with that. I, I, you know, I will tell you is my, my boys, one's 24, one's 21. One, the other one's almost out of college and they get along so great and spending time with your kids. It's the biggest joy in life. Right? I think even bigger than winning 600, I would say, Alice Ann, what do you think? Oh, oh, no doubt. I mean, there are real kids and I've got probably 600 other women 
not young anymore, some of them, but they're all my kids. Um, but, you know, Hannah and Evan are certainly the, the stars that Mitch and I orbit around. Perfect. All right. As we wrap it up here and celebrating 600 wins and even more coming for Alice Ann Wilbur, always a favorite of the association and love having her on United Soccer Coaches podcast. Uh, I'm going to ask you to dig deep again and think about special people uh, in your life in the coaching world. So people that helped influence you along the way, maybe even opposing coaches. I'm not sure. Maybe coaches you met at the association, maybe coaches you saw present and were so moved that you went and talked to them. But but who are two or three or, or four names that have meant a lot in, uh, to you in your coaching development? Well, Graham Ramsey, I think Tim Shum is writing about Graham Ramsey too, but for a long time, he was probably and my biggest mentor for a long time. I took a lot of coaching camps and courses with Graham and the international coaches that he brought in before you know, then NSCA started, I, I think, availing ourselves of more international expertise that was out there. So Graham undoubtedly is, has been my biggest mentor for all, all these years. Certainly Dave Carwick, a longtime assistant coach um, for about 20 years, I would say, he's since retired. I have a great cadre of assistant coaches now that have been with us for a long time. 15, 20 years almost. When Dave quit, they took over and we're, we're just a family affair here. So, you know, Pete Felsky, who just retired from Wheaton this fall, was out here uh, a couple weekends ago. So to see a game, they have had some time with us. You know, it is marvelous people out there. I value tremendously uh, our little uh, trio, Scott Fry from Messiah and Marcus Wood from Harden Simmons. So we would have, you know, pretty regular phone calls with the three of us together. And, and then there's the, the women in coaching that, you know, I'm so proud of the young women I have that are out there coaching. And, you know, actually Mindy Quig at Ithaca, who was part of our first championship team, was it was the Ithaca game where it became the 600. So you know, she wanted to win that game as much as, as we did, but it was, it kind of came full circle, didn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. So there, there's just a, there, there are incredible people who are so committed to the, the student athletes they work with in the, in, in the, in the sport. It, it's just a bright, smart sport and it hooks us in, right? It does. It does. Yeah. And yeah, I'm so glad to know that you've got some of your players coaching because they're starting to use that slogan. If you can see it, you can be it. And hopefully that means more women get involved. We certainly know that uh, that is going to be key as uh, we push the game forward. Alisanne Wilbur, 600 wins and counting. Uh, you look fantastic, Alisanne. Love to see your smiling face. Thanks so much for joining us this week on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Thanks so much, Dean. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Always have time for Alice Ann Wilbur. Always happy to help her with all the great work she does for all of the college coaches. She really gets it done. I want to thank all of our outstanding guests today. Leslie Gallimore, Grant Porter, Kate Ward, and just now Alice Ann Wilbur. I want to thank Sean Chevreau, Erica Dyer, Bailey Conklin, Jonas Worth, Lee Gerald, Jeff Van Dusen, all the great folks at United Soccer Coaches, and of course my producer, Colin Thrash, for each and every one of them and all of you. I'm Dean Linke saying we'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. 
Thanks for listening to the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. To learn more, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org and teamsnap.com.